The situation in the city of Sydney was clear and CSN was doing all it could to care for people suffering from HIV or AIDS as outpatients. However, Patricia knew that this was nowhere near the whole story. Not everyone with HIV lived in the city. She recognised early on the need for service to extend beyond the city wherever the need was, particularly in her own Greater Western Sydney. Pat quickly became an advocate for people living in the suburban West, and this became her new focus. But this path was not easy, and finding financial and community support was beyond difficult. There were ramifications with CSN in the city, and sometimes her new Western recruits were not quite what she was looking for. Pat tells us what happened. It caused a bit of kerfuffle at first. CSN had no other volunteers in the West, and there was one man, but he done everything in the gay man, and he'd done everything in the city. And they had a really great training course, you know, two weekends for the, fr the Friday night, the Saturday and the Sunday, but nothing happened in the West. So that's when I started. Uh, we very quickly had someone to care for every day of the week, basically. And going to the clinic at Westmead, I uh, made friends with a lot of guys who were so, so health-wise, but we started, they would help each other. And it was really ironic. I had one man who was... They told him he needed a wheelchair and he loved the attention in the wheelchair. So I would go to pick him up and he would he would push him out in a wheelchair. Then he'd get out the wheelchair and put it in the boot for me, lift it in. And then we would go to someone else that needed care because he would say to me, I'll come with you. So he would come in and help me to care for this person who was a bit unwell and might pick up, might not pick up. And that's how we started getting volunteers. A CSN advertised for volunteers for us, but a lot of it was family, friends, a, because it was something you had to be careful because you went through a period where someone wanted to do it because God told them to do it. And they were going to one woman... I spoke to was going to do it because she felt that she could get the devil out of these people and they would never they, they would be much better because that was her calling. So you had to sort of weed people out. So it got for about the next five years when the city, who had nobody out here, out west, um, got a potential volunteer or a potential client that needed care, I would go in and see them and do the interview and report to the city. He done it all in a voluntary capacity, of course, but he, um, and that's how we built up volunteers. They would be trained in the city, and then they would be come out. I would say to them, you know, tell them who who to send them to and it was needed in the best thing and that's how it started. From Westmead, we'd maybe arranged that a group of them I had at that time I had a, a an above the ground pool uh, at home and um, for a while we met there but it was a bit hard because 
the few people that had cars had to pick up people that were unwell. These were people that were sick. They were unmail and they would come to my house and we'd have a barbecue and a meeting. And then we got that we'd done that with some of the volunteers would come, bring them out and help. Uh, I felt that was a bit far, St Mary's. Uh, um, and we would do things like we would go to the koala park and different things because you had all these young people that were going to clinic and that was their event of the week. They were too unwell to get out, especially if they didn't have a car. Their families were quite paranoid. And I think the saddest thing for me, and this applied very much so when I was going into the city as well, an awful lot of them had come from another state or another country, and they would maybe communicate with their families quite regularly. Their families didn't know they had HIV because their families didn't know they were gay. And I think that's when, as I say, I had, when I got involved, I didn't know or wasn't aware a, a gay person. And I think that's when I realised this is something, that's the way you're born. From Richmond to Katoomba to over the other side, even to Camden. And there were just people that needed help and they couldn't tell the neighbours when they were living with their parents in a lot of cases. When I was doing the training course, I thought, how am I going to fit in here? Because I was doing the training course on everybody that I was doing it with. And the training courses were usually about 30 people at least, twice a month for two weeks of the month. So it was a continuous thing. There were a lot of volunteers. But I thought, where am I going to fit into this? And I actually found, especially when I came in West, but even in the city, that I fitted in because as far as neighbours were concerned, there could have been an auntie or a cousin or whatever. You would dress in a way that you weren't obviously gay. And because it had been young men that got sick and come back to mum to be cared for, and mum and dad were paranoid in case the neighbours found out what they had. So how sad is that? How tragic is that? That, that was the, 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 the environment they were living in. That was society. Do you know now, social workers will say, oh, but kids are educated, people are educated now. The general public are still is ignorant. They still think that if HIV is going to be AIDS, and it doesn't always apply, and the AIDS is only in Oxford Street. They do not see it as being a thing. And, of course, you've got the AIDS Council and all the other things. Now, they've dropped, it used to be HIV slash AIDS. They've dropped the AIDS because it's a manageable disease. It's still a virus that changes your whole life. But if you get diabetes, if you get any other illness, it changes your life. But you get you get support around you. If you've got HIV, you still keep it quiet. I know people that have had it for 25, 30 years and their families don't know. They still do not talk about it. The ignorance and prejudice of the time was not the only complication facing Pat. 
With an unprecedented public health situation, open-ended government spending, and the prospect of quick and favourable publicity, selfish politics were rife. The politics was terrible, was absolutely terrible. I would need to say it was the gay community that got a great response for, well, from government. Um, There was a few politicians, and at that stage there were only, I think, one worker for the AIDS Council. Uh, You had others that worked for Community Support Network. Uh, But the gay community in general, um, a message could go out, we're going to march in, uh, you know, Parliament today or Government House or wherever because of this and this, and and people would just go and and they'd march. And... uh, um, we got things pushed through. I mean, they even got that they could put in a needle exchange for any drug users, and that stopped. That prevented a lot of the virus in Australia. The response was great. But then the politicians were a thorough pain in the arse because that's all they wanted. It was people building their own careers. You had all these people that were working uh, selflessly to help. And then you had the politicians that were just big noting themselves. And unfortunately, some of them were the directors of some of the organisation and the charities. And still to this day, they get big money and the money is not going to what it should be going to. Because nowadays, this this is not it's seen as a manageable disease and in that time it was just a disaster there was a lot more could have been done if we could have got ready some of the poll and when i say politicians politics i'm not talking about government i'm talking about the organizations you know i can even remember caring for a little girl eight seven or eight years old and she was dying and i'm getting phone calls eh, from the heady two of these organisations that shouldn't even have known I was there because of confidentiality, saying, well, we've had reports she's died. Has she died yet? I'm with the minister and the minister's interested. And I was actually as rude as hell to them and told them to F off. None of their business. It had nothing to do with them, but it was really distressing because you had this little girl. She learned for the television that her mother had died of this disease and she had it and she was dying. And it was horrific. And it was politics again, where they're phoning and saying, we'd like a report. And there was no way I was going to give them it. So it was. It, there was a lot of disgusting things happened. If people didn't fit in, if you had a gay man who had the virus and who wasn't happy with what was happening and was a carer or whatever, um, if he spoke out, he could be crucified. So I suppose that's life. Politics is everywhere. Over time, Pat's CSN Western Sydney operation found it wasn't alone in the West and garnered important support from the public hospital system and other community organisations such as the Catholic Church. However, even around these institutions, she found disappointing examples of misinformation, ignorance and fear when it came to dealing with HIV and AIDS. We were very involved with Westmead. I had a huge support at Westmead. But you would have things like 
one in the Catholic Church wanted to open a respite centre because when someone was dying, it was very hard to get them in the hospice. They, they didn't want them in the hospices. They were afraid they were, because everybody in the hospice would get AIDS. And the, um, they decided that they would, they had a place at Quakers Hill and there was a couple of community things there and they had a house and they were going to make it a convalescent respite care place because it meant that when someone just needed a bit of care, when treatments were beginning to come in and they needed a bit of care to pick up and didn't necessarily need a hospital stay, there was nowhere to go. So they would try and get them into a hospice and they would be convinced they would die and guess what? That's exactly what they'd done. And I can remember they had this big thing to try and convince the people in Quakers Hill they weren't all going to have AIDS because, of course, at a council meeting they had to say what they were doing. Uh, there was a, a ruckus. It was knocked back. They appealed. Um, and Bishop Bede actually had a meeting. He was the bishop here then. And he came out. At this meeting, this man screamed at him. Jesus went out to the lepers. He didn't bring them into the community. And that's the way people thought. I went with the first patient that went to St. Joseph's. At the beginning, they were at St. John of God. Somebody for the West could go to St. John of God at Strathfield. And they were very well educated. And then the funding was taken for them and it was given to St. Joseph's at Auburn. And the first guy, that we, we took him in there. And I went in and had a, made a cup of tea and that we're sitting having a cup of tea and we're going out with a cup of tea I'm going out with the cups to wash them and then they said to me oh you can't bring them out of that room and I said why not oh no she said we have to decide they have to go for this special sterilisation and all this and I said bullshit and she said oh good we don't know anything about it so I actually spoke to clinical psychologist that was it a Parramatta then and she brought a team in to do education there and these were the first people that were taking them to die there as a hospice we have we have quite an ageing group now, we have quite a few that come that in the 60s and, and approaching 70 and the, um, the last person that we would probably a bit seven or eight years ago we had someone who had a stroke and we had to get him into a nursing home and before the nursing home could take him we had to get a team in there well when I say we I mean I just let the social workers and that know and they went in and done education there the nursing staff might have been okay but in actual fact the backup staff the people that bring meals and all that stuff it becomes a big issue just even to go in a nursing home now because none of them should have lived this long, should they? That was it. wasn't expected and the education is still lacking.